Hey, welcome back to Emmanuel Covenant Church Online. For those of you that are worshiping with us online, whether you're up at the cabin or you're staying safe at home, we are so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. And I'm glad that you are a part of our Emmanuel Covenant family. Well, throughout the past eight weeks, we've been going on this epic journey through the book of Exodus. And Exodus is where we find many of our monumental stories that shape our faith. From the story of an infant whose life is spared, to his growing years, to seeing the people whose blood he shares being abused and mistreated, to the way he leads them to physical deliverance with God at the helm, to the story of the Ten Commandments being given on Mount Sinai, this book shapes our understanding of who God is and what he's done and what he wants to do through us. This book tells a story of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God that transforms not only our lives, but the life of our community. And when I think about the key moments in my own journey of understanding what it means to know and to be known by God, I can't help but think of the mountaintop experiences. I can't help but think about snow camp as a teenager where I consciously chose to follow Jesus instead of following the crowd. I can't help but think of answers to prayer that came after long weeks of seeking and speaking to a God who knows me. And I can't help but think of those more than coincidence moments where somebody spoke life into me through what could only have been the words of the Holy Spirit. And for many of you, your experience is probably the same. When you think of the stories that make up your faith, you think of those mountaintop moments. When you were a kid or a teenager or an adult, or even in this past year, you think of those moments of miracles and unbelievable experiences and moments with God that you couldn't experience anywhere else. But one of the things that I've come to find, both as a person of faith and now as I lead other people of faith, is that while the mountaintop may wow us, what happens off the mountaintop shapes our journey. And if we're not careful, mountaintop moments can almost turn into those pandemic promises that we talked about a few weeks ago. Things like, when I get back from camp, I'm gonna change my whole life. That can fade when peer pressure hits and the reality of school and sports and how limited time is sets in. I'm gonna trust the promises of God can start to feel a little foolish when it feels like we're not seeing the results of what we've been praying for. I'm gonna believe the truth of who God says I am can grow quieter when questions and doubts and criticism set in. You see, most of our faith life is actually lived off of the mountaintop. And while the mountaintop may, like it did for Moses, cement in us an understanding of who God is and what God's calling us to, our lives are more than the mountaintop moment. They're made up of learning what it looks like to actually walk out this faith in Jesus that we profess. And today, we get to look at a really exciting part of scripture. We get to look at a part of scripture that the more I studied it this past week, the more excited I got to tell you all about it because it's beautiful and it's raw and it's so unique. We get to look at this hard lesson that God's people had to learn off of the mountaintop about what it looked like to walk with God when things got hard. 
And I'm so excited for us to read scripture together. And so if you have your Bible in front of you, whether it's on your iPad or you have a physical copy, our passage for today comes from Exodus 32 through 34. And preceding these chapters, we have seen some of the most fantastic experiences with God. We've seen people experience God in all of God's glory. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He met Moses as a burning bush. He gave his people the 10 commandments through Moses and he just finished instructing Moses on how to build this place where God's presence would dwell with God's people and they could encounter and experience him. And his final reminder to Moses on the mountaintop is this beautiful invitation of what it looks like for God's people to live in this position of rest with him, to have this day where they cease from all their labors, where they cease from striving and they actually experience what it looks like to just live in peace with God and with God's people and with what God has created. And so our passage today, starting in Exodus 32, begins like this. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and they said to him, up, make us gods who should go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation and he said, tomorrow shall be a day of feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. So Moses is up on this mountaintop with God, experiencing the whole glory of who God is and learning what it looks like for God's people to walk with God in a relationship. And while God so far had proven himself trustworthy, while he had proven to himself to be a God that delivers and a God that cares and a God that heals and a God that sustains, and while he had shown himself so far to be a God that they could put their whole faith in and worship before, doubt starts to creep into people's minds. And they think, well, it's been 40 days that Moses has been up on this mountain. Who knows if he's coming back? And if he is, will he be in any position to lead us? And so they say to Aaron, Aaron, build us a God that we can follow. They've decided they can't trust the one that they've been following so far and they wanna live under the rule and the reign of something else. And this might seem strange. It might seem ridiculous even, right? Because after all this time that they've known this God who goes before them, after the incident with the manna where they were provided actual food by this God that cares for them, after being delivered from slavery by a God who wants to see them living in the full reality of what it looks like to be fully human, they want another God? They want to worship before something made? Until you realize this, in chaos, it is really tempting to create a God to worship instead of trusting the God you know. And if you're a note taker, there's a place for you to write that in your notes this morning. It is so tempting to create a God to worship instead of trusting the God that you know. Think of this season in particular. 
This season, it's been chaotic for most of us. I don't know if there's anybody watching it this morning that wouldn't say this season has just been so chaotic and so wild and so unexpected. And while many of us started this season pledging on the mountaintop, I'm going to use this season to reconnect with God. I'm going to dive deep into scripture. I'm going to read some books that have been sitting on my bookshelf. I'm going to get out in nature more. Getting off the mountain as the chaos continued in the quiet moments, as it felt more and more silent, the temptation grew to turn our mind and our attention and our worship to other gods. The God of comfort. As quarantine started, things to make our experience at home more comfortable began to sell out in stores. I mean, it would, you would be hard pressed in this moment to find a trampoline or a pool or a jet ski or a paddleboard or a bike or a scooter or any sports equipment because they can't keep it on the shelves right now because we're all craving something that's gonna comfort us and bring us joy. The God of security. As our nation's financial outlook began to look more and more bleak, many of us watched and worried over 401ks and savings accounts and stocks and retirement funds, looking for something that would give us any sense of lasting security that we could make it through this mess. The God of enjoyment. So at the start of quarantine, this game came out called Animal Crossing, and it promised players this escape from the reality of its current life. And since then, it has sold over 13 million copies, with players logging 600 plus hours, crafting an island escape to get away from the chaos. Disney Plus more than doubled their subscribers in quarantine, partially due to Hamilton, I'm sure. And if we're all honest, A lot of us are really convinced that we have made it to the absolute end of the Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime libraries. None of these things are bad. It's not bad to want to have fun. It's not bad to want to engage in good God-honoring entertainment. It's not bad to want to connect with family out in nature. But all of these things make really terrible gods. All of these things make awful places to place our trust. All of these things, when we worship them, don't provide the lasting satisfaction that we're actually craving. They're not bad things. They're just bad gods. And we weren't actually designed to worship those things. In fact, as the people worshiped this golden calf that they fashioned for themselves, they started to worship it instead of the one that brought them out of slavery, instead of relishing in the reality that there's this creator God that cares about them and walks with them and knows them and loves them and wants to deliver them. And that even when he seems silent, that he's still present. Because even in this moment, when the people off the mountain are experiencing what they feel like is silence and fear and anxiety and chaos, God is noticing what's happening in their lives. Our passage continues starting in Exodus 32, seven. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They made for themselves a golden calf and they've worshiped it and they've sacrificed to it. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. 
But Moses implored the Lord as God, and he said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and you said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven and all this land that I've promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And what happens next, I love about the character of God. It says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken, bringing on his people. And then next, Moses heads down off of the mountain. He heads down off of the mountain to confront what's happening below. And it says this, then Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. The tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Those tablets that he's talking about are those 10 commandments. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory, or the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses's anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and he broke them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. So when Moses comes down off of this mountain, when he comes down from having this experience with God that's shaping his understanding of who God is and what God's calling his people towards, he finds out that the people that he's been called to lead have turned their back on God and instead are worshiping created things. And so he demonstrates what this worship is doing to their relationship with God. And he takes the two tablets that contain God's laws, one of which was that you should make no idol. And he slams them on the ground and he breaks them, signifying that this covenantal relationship that the people were supposed to have with God, this relationship they've always longed for, that it's broken. Here's what worshiping created gods does. Worshiping created gods, it leads to ruin. A commentary that I read in preparation for this week wrote so beautifully on this passage. And I actually put this commentary in your notes because it's so worth reading because it beautifully describes what these chapters do and what they mean for the people of God. But I love in particular what John Oswald had to say about this section. He said, and what happens when we seek to meet our needs for ourselves? This passage answers the question very clearly. Our gifts are misused. Giving is coerced. Professionals are exalted. Ordinary people are reduced to spectators. Power and productivity are made ultimate. Creation is worshiped. God is misperceived. And far from bringing him near, we further alienate ourselves from him. God had provided the people with the wealth of Egypt, not only for the building of the tabernacle, but also for their enjoyment. Now it was poured into a thing that would only take and give nothing back. You see, the gods of this world, the created gods, they can only take and they can't give anything back. Comfort, security, and enjoyment when it's not tied to a real relationship, 
with a real creator who knows you and loves you and wants what's best for you can't result in anything that's going to last. And more often than not, it actually creates in us this burning desire for the next God or the next God-like thing or the next thing to worship or own or obtain. And so what these people found as they worshiped the little G God instead of the big G God that they were called to worship is that they got what they wanted and what they thought they wanted and what they received was diametrically opposed because what they wanted was a God who was present. What they wanted was a God with a relationship with them, one that they could see and touch and feel and dance around and worship and feast with. But the result was that this big G God that wanted that with them had never felt so distant. And I don't know about you at home, but I'm pretty sure that all of us can relate to that experience that experience of worshiping something created, whether it's security or a job or a relationship or the next best thing or keeping up with the Joneses, worshiping something created and finding that the one that we actually wanna have a relationship with, the big G God who knows us and loves us and made us and wants what's best for us has never felt more distant. But here's the beautiful truth that we learn as the story continues. While God may have been angry by this idol worship, while the people may be covenant breakers, God is a covenant sustainer. And the creator God, he desires a relationship. He calls them to rid themselves of idols and they're commanded to leave and continue on their journey. And so read with me now, beginning in 33, 7. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and he pitched it outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent and they would watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and it would stand at the entrance of the camp. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people, they would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That passage is incredibly beautiful because in the midst of the situation that feels so unlike what people want, and if we had more time, we would dive into the, the parts that are in between those last few passages that I read because it's the people experiencing the consequence of the sin that they had committed. And in the midst of all of that, we're told about this beautiful God, this one who desires to be in a relationship with his people. This one who reveals himself to those that seek him. Faithfully, he draws everyone to recognize that he is present and he speaks to Moses and to each of us as a man speaks to his friend. We can have this relationship with God that we long for most. He's ready and he's willing to be the God that goes before us and behind us and beside us. He's proven himself to be faithful and trustworthy in his desire. It's not hidden or it's not unpursuable. It's not like the other gods where you have to keep creating and keep making and keep giving. His desire is to be intimate and to be present and to lead 
So in these intimate moments with God, Moses intercedes on behalf of God's people that they might have a relationship with the God that created them, that they can have the type of relationship with God that Moses has had with God. He asked God to show him his ways and God pledges himself to Moses saying, my presence, it's gonna go with you and it's gonna give you rest. He promises to go with them into the next leg of the journey and even more so, he promises that he's gonna show Moses his glory to show him the fullness of what it looks like to be in a right relationship with the creator. But this beautiful moment, it doesn't just end with this intimacy. In Exodus 34, we're told this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come up to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and he went up to Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there proclaimed the merciful name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgressions and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, which as we talked about earlier, is actually this gift of grace that God is going to be forgiving. He's not going to hold sins against an entire family line. It says, and Moses bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. And then God said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in the earth or in any nation and all the people among you shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do through you. This is such a beautiful demonstration of God's character. When we pledge ourselves to give rightful praise and honor and allegiance to God alone, the creator of all things, we find that relationship leads to restoration. God here says to his people, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. And more so, he says, I won't leave you to your own devices. I will be with you and I will go before you and I will go in your midst. I will keep my promise of generations of forgiveness to future generations. And I will work through you for my glory in the rest of the world. In renewing this relationship and restoring God's people to the life that they longed for most, the life they were meant to live, God reprovides Moses with the Ten Commandments. And in renewing his covenant with his people, God provides instructions for feast and practices for sacrifice and reminds his people of the importance of Sabbath. All of this, it serves a really important function. You see, rules and rhythms and routines, they keep our eyes on the ever-present God. When we set aside specific seasons like Lent and Advent as more than just commercial celebrations, but as holy cycles, we're reminded of a God who throughout the years has come to us and has sacrificed for us. When we set aside days like the Sabbath, 
to rest and to enjoy the presence of God and his creation. We're reminded of a God who alone is worthy of worship, a God who alone sustains us and invites us into a relationship with him. And when we set aside practice like worship and tithing, when there are things that we only provide to God, we're reminded of a God who is so unlike any of the little G gods in our life, a God who we can trust with our very possessions. And in seasons like the one we're in now, rules, rhythms, and routines are even more important. You see, they ground us in a God who's present and they prevent us from turning all of our eyes and all of our attention to the temptation to worship the little G gods of comfort or security or entertainment. They safeguard our heart from creating idols of things created and remind us to worship the creator alone. And this, it's not just for us. It's not just for our individual faith walk, but it's actually for the sake of a world that longs to see something different. We're told this about Moses as he comes off the mountain from this moment with God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil and until he came out, and when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. The truth here is that restoration results in radiance. John Oswald puts it this way. He says, Moses had not seen Yahweh face to face, but something better than that had happened. He had spoken to Yahweh. And that experience was reflected in Moses' face, although he himself was completely unconscious of it. That is as it should be. Moses didn't seek God so that his face would become radiant. He sought God because he wanted to know him and he wanted to know his ways. But if we have experienced the face of God, it must surely transform our faces. When we know God intimately, when we come off the mountaintop and we walk out our journey in the valley, when we experience the joy of relationship and of restoration, the change that we've experienced on a soul level reflects on a physical level. And in our relationship with others, in our family, our workplace, our community, we carry the presence of God and the invitation that others too can come to know him intimately and can come to know what it looks like to walk with the one who created him. You see, one of the rhythms that God invited us into, one of the relational elements that God gave us is the practice of communion. It reminds us of a God who sat with his disciples face to face, who showed them 
what it looks like to live out God's will, who sacrificed for them, who gave his presence to them, that we all might be able to know this God more deeply and to live in a restored relationship with him, one that has the opportunity to shape the rest of our lives. Here at Emmanuel, the Lord's table, it's open to all people who can sincerely pray the prayers that we're about to pray. So scripture tells us what happened the night that the Lord's Supper was instituted by our God. And one of the beautiful moments as you're watching online here is that this first supper, it happened in a home. And for centuries, the Lord's Supper happened in a home. And so you join in your home with the homes of other believers all around the world who know this story to be true. It says the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so together, let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy of these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. You see, the Lord also gave us a prayer to pray together. One that binds together Christians of different nations and languages and traditions as one body as we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.